0: What a great truth, really, that uh, God is unstoppable. And you know, you look around at everything that's going on in the world, and and really, if you if you spend all your time thinking about what's going on in the world and focused on what's going on in the world, boy, you get real discouraged real fast. Uh, It's not hard. Uh, Matter of fact, I found um, probably about six eight months ago uh, that that if I shut the news off, just shut it off. Um, that my my I'm, I'm, my life's a little bit better, and I take that time and just spend the word, spend time in the Word of God, and uh, the the news will take you this way. And the book will take you this way, and uh, so spend time in the book. And uh, I I do now browse just the headlines of the news, but I don't spend a whole lot of time there because uh, you do need to know a little bit of what's going on. I'm not saying we should stick our hand in the sand, uh, but I tell you what, there's a whole lot of discouraging stuff in this world, Uh, but the fact that God is still on the throne and the fact that you can trust Him uh, with everything that He's doing uh, is where we need to be at as Christians. And uh, and be aware of what's going on. Certainly, I'm not saying we should not. Uh, but uh, but understand that hey, it's all in God's plan. Uh, he he knew uh, things are going to go downhill. I mean, he knew that from Genesis chapter six um, when when man started going bad in the beginning, and he flooded the whole earth, and he said, "Well, I won't do that again." Uh, but uh, but it will draw to an end, and uh, and it'll all be. Uh, ended, and praise the Lord, that trumpet will sound, and as Christians, saved people, we will be called out of here, and uh, what a what a great day uh, that will be. I'm not preaching on that this morning, though I, I kind of wish I was. Um, Luke chapter number one, we're going to take one more look here at uh, a Christmas theme, and where the day after Christmas, and sometimes it's hard, you know, you look at Christmas, and, and uh, sometimes it's tough to uh, find... Uh, the right balance between, you know, spending time in Christmas passages and then looking at other passages, and we're kind of in between Christmas and our new year, and and uh, but we're going to look at one more time here at a Christmas passage, and as I was reading over this, this really kind of jumped off the page at me, and uh, really it is the uh, the... When the angel of the Lord comes to Zacharias and Elizabeth his wife and lets them know that they're going to have a child and that child is going to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And that's the focus and the area that we're going to be looking at this morning. So as we look here in Luke chapter number 1 in verse number 5, the Bible says this, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. It's interesting there, as we just I want to pause for a moment in verse number ten, uh, that there was a whole multitude of people that were praying. And uh, and you really you think about the uh, where Israel was at this time and the fact that uh, they had not heard from God in in quite some time. So I find it interesting that there was still a whole multitude of people that were praying uh, at the time of incense. Let's Let's pick it up verse number 12. The angel was standing there on the side in verse 11, verse number 12. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Let's stop right there and, uh, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word that we can study, that we can read, that we can uh, just spend time in. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts as only you can this morning. And God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified for truly how great you are. And God, I pray that you would um, bless the service this morning. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, I want to focus on verses uh, 15 and 16 and 17, really, where the Gabriel is giving the announcement to Zacharias and, and he's telling him, hey, here is what is going to take place with your child, John, and he would be John the Baptist. And so he's giving him a prophetic portion of what is to take place. And there's several things that I want us to see out of these verses that kind of jumped off the page at me and I found very interesting. In verse number 16, as Gabriel is speaking, he says this, "...and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God." And I read that, and I thought, man, that's quite fascinating. You say, well, what's so fascinating about that? Really, you you read that and you'll find that it speaks to the state of Israel. It speaks to the status of where Israel was at this time. What has taken place in all this time? Well, before Jesus had come, before the Gospels, uh, the last time that, uh, that, that God has spoken to Israel was about 400 years ago. Now, we, I know I've mentioned this even last year, and, uh, but it's hard for us to wrap our head around that because really 400 years, uh, that's more than four generations. I mean, that's your uh, great, 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 I don't know how many greats you would go back. Uh, grandfather uh, was the last time that God had spoken. Could you imagine coming to church ritualistically your entire life And not hearing from God. That's what that would be like going through all of the motions, doing everything, but not having a revelation from God. And he says here in verse number 16, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now I want to say this because I don't want to paint an entire picture of Israel as being apostate and having walked away from God. It is apparent that Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, there were a remnant of righteous people within Israel, but it certainly was not the majority of the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, in the prophecy, he's saying, uh, listen, that uh, John the Baptist is going to turn many of the nation of Israel back to God. In other words, what happens in the nation of Israel, and you go through the book of Judges and you can read it. And you find that uh, that, that Israel uh, gets away from God, and the Bible says, and every man does, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and they all leave, and what happens is God sends a nation in to judge them, and to take over them, and, uh, and they become servants, and, and under bondage of some other country, and then finally they turn to God, and they cry for deliverance, and God sends a judge, and a judge will come in, and he'll guide them back to God and say, listen, you need to break down all these altars of Baal and you need to turn back to God and get rid of all these things that you're doing and and get right with God and the nation of Israel turns back to God and the, the nation that was oppressing them is defeated and cast off. Then you read for a little while and you find out what happens in time. They get away from God again. They go apostate again. And it's a cycle that takes place over and over in the book of Judges. And uh, and it's just a regular occurrence. So you could imagine after 400 years of no new prophecy from God, what the state of Israel must have been just a religious institution that was spinning its wheels that did not have a whole lot of feeling for many of the Israelites that were there. And uh, as I was reading about that, uh, listen, uh, you think about that for a minute, and here's the thought that came to mind. They were religious, but they had no relationship with God. They were going through religious motions but they didn't have a relationship that had been developed with God. They needed turning back uh, to God. They needed a revival in Israel. And so we find here that that God was saying or Gabriel was saying uh, to, to Zacharias, hey, that John the Baptist was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ and he was going to turn Israel back and point them towards Jesus Christ. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 15, just back a few, well, almost a uh, several pages, I guess, more than just a few. Matthew chapter number 15. And we find that this was a common common thread throughout the nation of Israel as, as Jesus in his ministry dealt with the Pharisees who were a very religious bunch, but they had no relationship with God. As a matter of fact, he condemns that whole idea in this passage of Matthew chapter 15. and verse number one, we'll take the whole context here. Now I want you to see this. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter number 15. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, that was the uh, religious crew of that day, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? For God commanded saying honor thy father and mother and he that curseth father or mother let him die the death. But ye say whosoever shall say to his father or mother it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect. By your traditions. Ye hypocrites, well did Esaias, the prophet, well did Esaias as prophecy of you saying, This people draweth, draweth nigh unto me with their mouths, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of man. And so Jesus really sums up what the problem is for the nation of Israel here. He says, listen, you've taken My commandments that were very clear and were very straightforward, and you've changed them, and you've said, hey, well, if you do this, then we'll let you off and it'll be okay. And you've introduced traditions over My commandments, and you've changed things, and you've drawn people away from My Word and to yourselves with your traditions that you have introduced. Basically, the Pharisees and scribes had set themselves up as an authority more than God's word and God's commandment. And obviously, God was against that. And so he, he tells them, he says, hey, uh, you, with your mouth and with your lips, uh, you say that you're for God. He said, but your heart is far from me. Listen, I could imagine a greater part of Israel had just followed along with that. I mean, they were, they were just you know doing the same thing. And after all, they had not had any new word from God in 400 years. And, and they were just going through their regular rituals that they had done uh, for their entire life. And you could see after four, or five, six generations, how easy it would be just to slip a, a, another, uh, another tradition in there that man would do. But they would not necessarily go along with the word of God. And they wouldn't even recognize it. And they'd say, well, I've done this my whole life. I want you to think about this. As we think about the state of Israel, boy, that's a lot of the state of America and many religious people. They're religious. Oh, they go about their religious ways on a very religious, devout, sincere schedule. And they will go to different churches and they will go to different places and they will be devout with their religion. I have no doubt that many of these Jews were very devout and they were very sincere in what they were doing. But yet they had no relationship with God. What a sad state. In the nation of Israel, that they would have religion without a relationship. Matter of fact, he tells them that. Go with me to John chapter number 8 and save your spot in Luke. We'll be back there. But John chapter number 8. And Jesus confronts again the scribes and Pharisees, you see them, butt heads with the scribes and Pharisees multiple times throughout Scripture, because they had become so apostate, and they had left the ways of God and introduced their own commandments and their own things. And so he deals with that over and over again with the scribes and Pharisees. In John chapter number eight and verse number 39. Jesus is in a dialogue with those scribes and Pharisees again. And he's pretty straightforward with them. And look at what he says in John chapter number 8 and verse number 39. They answered and said unto him, or they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me a man that hath told you the truth. And I have heard of God. Uh, This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. He's about to get real offensive to them. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them if ye, if God were your father ye would love me for i proceeded forth and came from God neither came i of myself but he sent me why do ye not understand my speech even because ye cannot hear my word verse 40, 44 he says ye are of your father the devil well wow, that's pretty straightforward That's pretty easy to understand. He charges them directly and says, listen, God is not your father, though you think he is your father, though you think you are serving him. He tells them straight out and says, hey, ye are of your father, the devil. Then he goes on in verse 44, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. You follow down through the dialogue and you'll find that several times uh, it's no wonder those scribes and Pharisees, man, they got upset. Matter of fact, there was multiple times they wanted to stone him for what he said, and, and they tried to, and, and, uh, and certainly God, God protected Jesus. But I'm just saying, hey, that they had a very religious atmosphere, but God was very clear with them. Jesus was very clear with them. Though they were religious, they had no relationship with the Father whatsoever. He's saying, you're not of God. God is not your Father like you think He is. Listen, a lot of people are lost, very religious people, but they're lost. And they think they're okay because their religion uh, is something that they're very devoted to. But Jesus said in John 3.3, He said, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, ye cannot see the kingdom of God. And religion will never replace a relationship for Jesus Christ. And so we find that, hey, the nation of Israel was in a sad state uh, where they had departed from God's Word. They had departed from God. Uh, They didn't have a relationship with God. And we see that over and over. Listen, they were religious without a relationship. They were also religious without righteousness. The Bible's very clear. The Bible says in Galatians 2.16, knowing that, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. These guys had fallen into a pattern of hey we're doing all this and so therefore we must be righteous before god because we've kept all of the law matter of fact that's even what paul said in philippians when he recounts his life and he says hey i am a, 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 i'm of the tribe of benjamin of uh, or of the tribe of benjamin and uh, and he goes through all the things that he said and basically it was a prideful religious i have righteousness because i have kept the law but we find listen Keeping the law cannot give you righteousness being very religious and being very devout, which would be kind of like keeping the law, cannot save mankind. a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that, that doing good works will not justify a single person. And so God, when He's saying to, uh, to, to Zacharias that, listen, John the Baptist, He's going to turn many of the nation of Israel. In other words, hey, there was many religious people but they were lost. And how how that parallels with our day-to-day and how many lost religious people. There's many people who have altogether abandoned religion because of all the problems and all the scandals that have come out and, and all the difficulty, and they're saying, man, there's nothing there. Listen, there is something with Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Righteousness provided by Jesus Christ. And He's the only one that can save. And there's no other way. And so we see the nation of Israel and the sad state of affairs in Israel. Israel was religious, but it was not related to God. Israel was religious, but it was not righteous before God. Israel was religious, but it needed repentance to turn back to God. So we see that in verse 16 he said, and many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. We see the state of Israel. But I want you to see this as well in verse number 17. Verse number 16, Luke 1:16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. In verse 17, and He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children uh, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just we find not only the state of Israel being a religious but lost state, we find the surrendered man in verses 16 and 17. That he shall turn uh, those people to the Lord. Uh, Listen, uh, look back with me in verse number 15 because this is important. He says in verse 15, for he's talking about John the Baptist, for he shall be in the sight of... Or Be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Listen, the fact that he says he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. I looked at that and I thought, what a tremendous verse. That John the Baptist would be concerned that God is paying attention to him. That he would live his life catching the eye of the Lord. Have you ever seen a... You see this in college. Our college kids will be able to associate with this regularly. Have you ever seen a young man trying to get a young lady's attention? Man, they do all kinds of crazy, dumb stuff. Just trying to catch the eye of the young lady. And they're trying to get their attention because they want them to notice them and they want to see that they want them to see them and, and they're trying to get their attention. They're trying to catch their eye, if you will. And they would do all kinds of crazy things. As a matter of fact, and and uh, and we'll, we won't delve into all the stories, but you could imagine even in your own life of the uh, of the crazy things that that a guy would do to try and get the attention of some girl uh, that he's interested in. But as I read this verse, I love the fact that the Bible says there in verse number uh, verse number fifteen. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And he was trying to gain the attention of God. And listen, as we live our lives, as we look at this surrendered man, may we be challenged whose attention are you trying to garner? Who are you trying to impress? Whose eye are you trying to catch? You think about this verse, and as you think about this surrendered man, uh, John the Baptist, who would catch God's eye, uh, I instantly thought of Genesis chapter 6. Go with me to Genesis chapter 6 real quick and save your spot there in Luke as we'll be back there. But in Genesis chapter 6, we find that another man caught God's eye as well. I find this very encouraging and interesting. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 6, all the way back to the beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. I want you to notice, they saw them, and they took note of them, and they caught their eye, if it were, and that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which were They chose. Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, that the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil only continually. Let me just stop there for a moment and say this, that uh, these men started taking notice of these girls and it caught their eye. But then we find there in that verse that I just read, verse number 5, that God took notice of all the wickedness that was going on in the land. And it was a wicked day and every thought of their heart was continually evil, the Bible says. Let that sink in. There's nothing new under the sun. Sometimes we think we live in such a wicked, evil, and we do. Don't get me wrong. We do. But it's nothing much different than what Noah lived in. It's nothing new. I mean, Paul's day was a wicked, evil day. They were killing Christians and throwing them in jail. And so, understand that uh, that wickedness is not new, but God saw the wickedness that was going on, and God took note of the wickedness that was taking place. But look with me at verse number 6, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made him. Verse number 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Hey, praise the Lord. May we be encouraged that in a wicked and perverse generation like in Noah's day, hey, you can still live a holy life, and you can still live a righteous life, and you can still live a life that is glorifying to God. And Noah lived a life at such that, hey, it caught the eye of God, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We find that, hey, uh, John the Baptist caught sight of God and that he would be great in the sight of God. And what I'm simply saying is uh, we ought to live our life to please God and not worry about man so much. We see that he lived for God. What about Enoch? Enoch lived for God, and he lived in a wicked day. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, 5, but but by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He was living his life to catch God's eye. Hey, John the Baptist was, would be great in the sight of the Lord. He would catch God's eye. Uh, listen, holiness in our life will make a difference. You look at his life and he was to be a Nazarite and there were things that he were, was supposed to give up in his life and never uh, do certain things. Listen, as a Christian, there's things that we ought to get rid of out of our life that will help our life be holy unto God. There's some things that we can get rid of. He got rid of things in his life and he walked with God. And I want you to notice, look at verse number 17. We find that he's a surrendered man and that he gave up those things and that he lived for the Lord. And then we see the power of the Spirit of God upon his life. Verse number 17, for he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It's an interesting passage who was Elias? Elias was one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. He did twice the, uh, twice the, uh, the miracles that Elijah had done. And, and he followed in the footsteps of Elijah. And he did double the amount of miracles and had a, a double portion of Elijah's spirit on him. And, and what was that? It was the Spirit of God on his life. And it goes back to Malachi. You can mark it down. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. The Bible says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. He's saying, hey, I'm going to send Elijah, the spirit of Elijah... And here we find that uh, he was tell, he was saying, hey, John the Baptist is going to come in the spirit of Elias, uh, that hey, he'll have the spirit of God in his life, and he's going to work, and it will be that equivalent of Elijah or Elisha and their ministry that he had done there. And he was just prophesying and saying, hey, uh, this ties into that that was mentioned in Malachi. But I want us to notice this, that when you have a man that would surrender to God and say, hey, I'm going to give give up some things in my life that he would be filled with the Spirit and have the power of God on his life. John the Baptist's ministry, you could go out and replicate it in the flesh and not have half the results because it's not a man-made work. It's a spiritual work of God working in the life of John the Baptist. I was reminded of the verse in Zechariah that said, uh, Then he spake unto me and said, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Know that we'd have the power of the Spirit of God. In our life, we see the state of Israel. It was certainly a wicked state. It was a religious state. It was, a, uh, but it was religious, but not righteous. It was religious, but not a relationship with God. And we see the surrendered man of John the Baptist that he is to be and, and how he's to give things up and ha- be filled and have the power of God on his life. And I want you to notice as well in our passage, hey, the, the salvation of others. Look in verse number 16. I love this. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Oh, listen. We can have an impact. John the Baptist was greatly used of God. Why? Because he was separated to God and, and he caught the eye of God and he was willing to give up things and then he was filled with the Spirit of God in his life. Look at the influence that he had. The Bible says... Many shall turn to the Lord their God. Listen, if we're doing something, if we're going to have some kind of impact. I'm not saying that we'll have many. I'm not trying to equate us to John the Baptist by any stretch of the imagination. But when Jesus was talking about sowing and giving that parable of of sowing the seed, He said this at the end of it. He said, uh, and some brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And this I can tell you that if you're sowing seed, you're going to see some kind of fruit from that seed. You might not see a lot, but you'll see something. And, and listen, the Bible goes on and it explains in Galatians 6.8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He goes on in verse 9 and he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen, sometimes it seems fruitless. Sometimes you give out gospel tracks. This week, I had the opportunity to give out a lot of gospel tracks. It's being Christmas season, people take them, and they're more open. I had one young lady. I, I went to give her a track, and, and she was about to turn it down, and then she saw on the front, and it came to pass. And she said, "Oh." And she took it. You could see her face light up. she knew it was a Christmas track. And she's more open to it. And I just had lots of opportunity. And I'm just saying, listen, if you're, if you're getting seed out there, you're not going to see maybe results tomorrow. When you put a seed in the ground, you don't see the plant come up the next day. As a child, I remember doing those. And as my children did their, their little classes. And, and you know, you all do it in Sunday school or in school. And you get the seed and you put it in the little cup and you cover it up. And, and every day you run to the cup and look and there's nothing there. You're like, man. You put a little water in it. You walk away. Next day you come and check and nothing there. And you put a little more water in it. And it takes a little bit of time before you see that little green just kind of bust through the soil. You're like, oh. It finally did something. And you see that and then you start watering it and watering it and and pretty soon it grows. And and, and if you take care of it and you continue watering it and you continue uh, taking care of that seed, listen, it's going to bring forth fruit, but it's not overnight. It, It takes time. And listen, as we witness and as we give out gospel tracts and we tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ, I can tell you this, that sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it'll take 20 years before you'll see a return on that fruit. But the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for ye shall reap if ye faint not. John the Baptist happened to see a lot of fruit right away. But he also got put in prison and died. And he didn't have very long. Listen, sometimes we need to keep working and working and then you find, in verse 17, not only the impact that he made amongst the people and, and seeing them turn to, to, to God, but also, uh, he says, turns the hearts. Turns them where? To God. Listen, it's not you and I that are going to save people. It's the Word of God. It's Jesus that's going to save people. We've got to continually point people to Jesus Christ. Pray. Water. Water. Work the fields. It's not going to be tomorrow. It might even not be next month. It might be 20 years before you see fruit. But we keep watering. We keep witnessing. We keep doing what God has commanded us to do. Hey, we will see a difference. Some 20-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Some will see more. Some will see less. But I can promise you this. If we're doing something, we'll see God work. We'll see some souls saved. We'll see some life changed. If we'll just continue working like John the Baptist. Oh, preacher, we live in a bad day. John the Baptist lived in a wicked day. He lived in 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 a religiously lost world. I'd rather witness to somebody that didn't have any religion than somebody that had a religion and was devout in their religion. You have to try and convince them that they're lost before they can ever get saved. John the Baptist lived in a hard day and a hard people to minister to. But God used him greatly, turning hearts and turning lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to use you today, 2021, 2022, to see people pointed to God and hearts and lives changed if we'll be surrendered and if we'll submit to the power of God in our life with every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you. For your word. Got a prophetic portion speaking about John the Baptist and what an encouragement to us. Oh, the day's wicked. Yes. Yes. But God, may we not give up, throw in the towel. May we continue to sow the seed to give out the word. God, may we continue to water and to work. God, we pray that you'd give us fruit for our labors. Not something that we would manufacture, not something that we would come up with, but, God, something that you would do that's bigger than us. God, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful, to catch your eye, faithful in holiness, faithful in living right and doing right, and faithful to walk with you and to have your power on our lives. And God, I pray that as we minister in this world, that you'd help us to be patient and to see results. God, I pray that you would move and work through us as only you can. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. We live in a a wicked day, that's true. John the Baptist was called to a wicked day for such a time as this. God's got us here, not at the wrong time, but at the right time. God's got you where he's at, where you're at, for such a time as this that you could witness. You could help those that are around you, maybe your neighbors, maybe your family, maybe your co-workers. Be a witness everywhere you go. Live right. Help others to know that God loves them.